Welcome to Money Memoirs, a taboo-breaking interview series sharing intimately uncensored conversations about money. I am Barry Tesler, a financial therapist, author, and creator of The Art of Money, my year-long money school and global community. Join me as I connect with brave folks from all walks of life to explore their experiences with money from their greatest struggles to triumphant celebrations, to lessons learned, and unexpected discoveries along the way. These interviews are raw, heartfelt money stories. They're vulnerable, inspiring, and always authentic. These interviews are a snapshot of the personal connection and practical support you'll find in my year-long money school, The Art of Money. The Art of Money is a holistic framework that integrates money healing, money practices, and money maps. And it blends together therapeutic body-based practices with so many real life tools that you need to create healthy, sustainable change in your money life. If you'd like to learn more, head to barrytesler.com. For now, get comfy and cozy for another intimately uncensored money memoir. Welcome everyone to my money memoirs interview series. It's a beloved interview series I've been doing for almost eight years now, where I interview folks from all different backgrounds and lineage backgrounds and class backgrounds and income levels now. And we all share openly and honestly the beautiful parts of our relationship to money, the challenging parts, um, and all of that. So today I'm very honored to interview Monique Malcolm. She is a serial entrepreneur, speaker, and creative coach who is obsessed with bringing ideas to life. She's the founder of Keep Chasing the Stars, an e-commerce shop that sells her popular planner, the Visionary Journal, as well as Pimp Your Brilliance, a podcast and learning community for side hustlers and solopreneurs. <clears throat> I've had the honor of being interviewed by her on Pimp Your Brilliance. She loves developing tools and resources for creative people who have amazing ideas but struggle to make them happen. Monique is on a mission to empower people to stop letting fear, have all the fun, and to start boldly going after the things they desire in life. When she's not wearing the many hats, that being a creative entrepreneur demands, you can find her soaking up the Florida sun on a sandy beach with her husband and rude teenager son. <laughs> you can find her on pimpyourbrilliance.com. Welcome, Monique. So happy you're here. Thank you. I'm so happy to be on here. So I first heard about Monique because we share Allie Willoughby, which is who is a wonderful virtual assistant, a VA that we both share. And so Allie told me about Monique and Allie told Monique about me. And so, as I mentioned, she has interviewed me on her Pimp Your Brilliance podcast. And now I get to have the honor of interviewing her. So let's begin. So I love to hear Monique as an entranceway into sharing stories about your relationship to money. Could you share a snapshot of your family and work life right now to start us off, and then we'll dive into your money memoir. Okay, so I have just one son. <laughs> uh, he is 15, so I'm I'm right at that point, and we're in the middle of high school, and it's my husband and I uh, raising our our son. And then I actually come from a very large family, so I am the oldest of eight kids. <laughs> wow. Um, I know it's a lot. It's a lot yeah. of kids. And uh, we are, we're just at the pivotal point where the oldest half of us have children and we're still waiting for like the younger half of our siblings to eventually have them, but they're, they're early, uh, well, late teens, early twenties. So hopefully not for a couple more years. <laughs> um, and so I, I spend a lot of time doing things with family on uh, the business side, you know, I'm running and balancing an actual physical product business and then a purely online digital product business. So there's a lot of uh, balancing of different things and, and trying to keep a lot of cards and balls into play. And a lot of your families in Florida? 
everyone is in Florida. Oh, wow. Okay. And I'm the oldest too, but the oldest of three, different than the <laughs> What does that mean to you, being the oldest? Um, you know, I've always taken it as a great responsibility. Uh, I, I always say that my siblings are my other children. They're also the reason why I only have one child, because I helped out a lot as a child, um, doing pretty much everything that, that my parents were doing and helping make sure the younger ones were kept in line helping after school, uh, making sure, you know, some of them would walk to the bus stop. So there, there was a lot of responsibility. And I always remember my dad saying to me, it's your job to be a good role model, to show them what it is to be a good student and to be a good child and just, you know, be this person that's kind of paving the way for the other one. So I kind of taken, I took that charge and, and really took that seriously. And so I think that reflects a lot of how I deal with my family as a, an adult. Mm -hmm. beautiful you didn't you you took that seriously it felt important to you you didn't have times where you wanted to rebel against that or um do things differently you no yes it, it sounds like you your father said that you early on you took yeah. it on and that wasn't that became very important to you yeah and, and I don't think it's something that I necessarily ever really wanted to rebel against because I, I always took pride in that mm -hmm. I always took took pride in being the oldest and and being able to leave this positive um uh what do you call it I can't think of the word but basically leaving up a, a positive legacy and being legacy or and like being the the responsible child and being that I was really into schooling and, and really ambitious I I took that on and like okay well I'll, I'll show them how to do it um as an adult though that has become something that has been more of a challenge um, as I've gotten older because I do feel at times my parents can shift things towards me. Like when my other siblings are going through things or they're, they're not doing what they want them to do. They always like reflect back to me, like talk to your sister, talk to your brother about this thing. And I'm like, no, those are your kids. You talk to them. Mm -hmm. So you so you have to have clear boundaries and you've probably had to have had to learn that over and over. Yes. Yeah. All the time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hmm. So that you're you stay in the role of the kid, even though you were parenting in many ways. You know, at different times, you were helping. You were helping parents. You were helping parents. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um. We'll dive into this right away, and then go to my my question about childhood and money and what emotions come up. But as we're we're talking about your role as the oldest of eight, and that you have helped parents, um, but that you also need to make boundaries around that. Like, no, you need to bring this up with your other children. I'm not, I'm not going to do that. H how has money, um, has money come up in you being the oldest and, um, is it expected of you to help take care of the family? Was it early on? Um, to help um, contribute to the family, to your parents? I guess we're going right there, and then we can back up. Yeah. Uh, no, that hasn't, that hasn't really been an expectation. Um, even when I got my first job out of or in high school, um, the expectation was, like, you have the job to pay for your responsibilities, which is, like, my cell phone, my car, my gas, that type of thing. But I, I never was in a position where I had to – help contribute um, as a younger person, even as an adult. Um, there have been, there's one particular time um, when my brother passed and it was really unexpected and he had money that was, you know, in an account, but we couldn't touch it right away. So there just became this thing of like, well, how do we pay for his funeral costs? And so I did end up covering the cost for that initially with a little bit of help from my mom, but the majority of it I covered um, and then I was reimbursed from his estate later. But other than that, there there aren't a lot of times where, you know, there's like, we need you to pay for this or we need money for this. Um, that that actually is not a thing that comes up too often for me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I'm really sorry to hear that about your brother passing. Thank you. Yeah. Um, it sounds like you um, were working and then that paid for the things that you wanted or needed or some extra things 
and mm-hmm. that's how you were able to use those resources. But you weren't asked to help contribute to the larger family or to other siblings or your parents. And okay, so let's go back a little bit, or even, no, let's stay here and talk about what are the main set of emotions that come up for you. And we'll go back to childhood a bit, you know, to hear more of what you were learning growing up around money positively, negatively, consciously, unconsciously, and what helped shape um, some of your money stories and patterns and beliefs. And that also brings in what set of emotions came up for you um, over the years. Will you share a little bit about that? Well, having a large family or being a part of a large family, money was always the topic of, you know, there's just not enough. Um, and my dad, my dad worked really, really long hours for a family trucking business. And I always just assumed that he made good money, but because he had so many children, it just had to stretch further mm-hmm. than uh, his actual siblings. So I think that, you know, growing up, there was a lot of conversation about like, we can't afford that or like, we don't have the money for that. We can't do certain things. So I think uh, growing up, there was, there's always this sense of like, not having enough there's there's not enough for this and even though we never went without all of our basic necessities were covered we always had lights on and we were never like evicted from places it i was just very aware that maybe i shouldn't ask for certain things because it's going to be no because it's not a necessity we can't afford it uh we have other you know there's a need to to stretch to cover the whole family so i think that was probably like the biggest thing that I can think about when I think about uh, money in my childhood. Mm-hmm. And do you remember as a child thinking or knowing that your father did make a nice amount of money? You just had a large family. So that, as you were saying, there was a lot to go around. Did you know that as a child or is that something more as an adult that you realized or were you aware of that? Meaning he's working hard. Um, he's making a nice amount of money. There's a lot of us. And he's doing the best that he can. And so all the basics are covered, but not more. Do you remember thinking about that more? And I think, I think, well, I think I was maybe, and this obviously could be an assumption. I think I was vaguely aware of it, but some of that was influenced by um, extended family. So like I said, my dad worked for a family business. My grandfather owned a really thriving trucking company in the late 80s, early 90s um, in Orlando. And so I spent a lot of time with my grandparents and my my grandmother. So I just always assumed that they had a lot of money because they lived in a nicer place. And my grandmother always bought me these wonderful, beautiful dresses. But when I was with my dad and, and my mom, I just realized we didn't have the same flexibility. Like my parents weren't taking me out on the weekend and taking me shopping for nice dresses that's what grandma did when grandma came and picked me up for the weekend so I think on some level I just assumed that he made good money because obviously grandpa made good money because grandma takes me shopping every weekend Mm -hmm. but it wasn't anything that I ever asked him Um, now that I'm an adult I realize some of that is he does make good money and we did have a large family so it had to stretch more but I'm also realizing as an adult now that he has less kids in his house maybe he needs to handle his finances better Okay, mm-hmm. because there is extra money, but it's still being, well, I don't know, it's still being spent, or you you just are seeing that. I'm seeing that it's not going as far as I think got that it. it could. Got it, got it. So that's always an interesting question, as our parents are aging or getting older, and how much say do we have in how they do money or not? Where can we contribute? What conversations can we have? What conversations do we want to have with them? You know, Mm -hmm. Um, so are you getting in there at all with your father around talking about money with him or you're just observing? I'm just observing. Sometimes he he shares things with me, but most of the time I just observe. Mm -hmm. Is it something that you want to have money conversations with him about and bring up at some point? Um, You know, I haven't given it that much thought. He's still he's still working in. And he has, um, he's, he's a truck driver now for his own trucking company. Um, so there, we do have some conversations about 
his company and and how he can better uh, extend his finances with the company. But I don't I don't know if I'm quite prepared to have or if I even want to have a lot of conversations with him about his money. I think I'm still trying to figure out a lot of my own stuff. So I don't want to be that person that's like, do this while I'm right. still trying to get certain things under control. Right, right. Okay, we'll co- and we'll come back to that. We'll come back to what you're working on in your business and all of that. Um, share with us a little bit more about your lineage, ethnicity, and how that influenced your relationship to money. Okay, well. To that, yeah. So I am, I'm African-American. Uh, my dad's family, my dad's entire family is Jamaican. So there, they migrated to the U.S. when he was a really young child, maybe like five or six. So he's, he's been here for a long time. But um, so technically on my dad's side of the family, myself and my siblings and my cousins are all first generation Americans on my dad's side. On my mom's side, they've been here. Um, I'm also like the first person in my family to go or the first of the like cousins and all of that siblings to go and graduate college. Both of my parents went to college on basketball scholarships, but neither of them finished. So I am the first person to have finished all of my schooling. Uh, And I think sometimes that impacts just the way that family works because they tend to look at the person who got the most education (laughs) as the person who should make more decisions. Mm -hmm. But um, I think also, you know, going back to my parents, my parents also grew up in kind of two different life situations. So my mom grew up in a family that didn't have a lot of money. Um, whereas my dad's family has always been comfortable. So they're from two different sides of the tracks, so to speak. Hmm. Okay. And, and do you remember, I mean, I'm realizing, you know, your dad's an entrepreneur now. Um, he was working for the family business. Now he's doing his own. Your grandfather was an entrepreneur. So there's entrepreneurs in your family too. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. But separate sides of the tracks. It could be middle class, you know, my dad was more middle class, my mom was more lower income, her family, you know, so that's the other side of the tracks, north, south side of Chicago. Um, yeah. yeah, so that, do you, so was that a big deal for your family? Was it something that was talked about? Was it, what do you, do you remember um, different experiences from different sides, different grandparents? It wasn't, so it wasn't anything that we ever talked about. But I do remember as a child being aware that one side of the family had more than the other side. Um, we used to go to Miami a lot when we were little during the summertime, Christmas and Thanksgiving to visit my grandmother and my uncle who lived there at the time. And so we would go to my grandmother's house. And that's the first time that I ever learned what a food stamp was. And like, that's when they had paper food stamps. <laughs> so we would go and like my grandma would give us some pull a few of them out of the book and we would go to like the corner store and buy chips and soda and candy because that's what kids do during the summertime and so that was that was always kind of like a interesting thing because we didn't have that when I went to grandma's house on my dad's side as I mentioned before I go to grandma's house and grandma bought me a Nintendo and grandma would buy me nice dresses so it I was aware from a really young age that one side of my family was better off than the other side how do you think that shaped you? Did it? Did it not? Was there positive or negative beliefs or stories on either side that you remember? Yeah, taking on. Um, well, I think when I think about my mom's side of the family, there is a closeness there that I think came out of just not having a lot because there would be cousins that would come over for holidays and we would just have blankets and pillows and we'd all sleep on the couches and all over the floor in the living room and it would just be like stacked up with kids and that made us really close Uh, and I think it's even though I am close with some of the cousins on my dad's side we don't have that same like camaraderie we don't just get together and think about like oh remember when we were kids and we used to all pile up in the the living room and like sleep in the couches and all this stuff we never did that with the cousins on my dad's side of the family there were beds and stuff like that so um I don't I don't have any necessarily negative experiences that I think came from that division because because there was one side of the family that had more I always felt like I had enough like my my grandma on my mother's side if she couldn't afford really nice gifts I never worried about that because I know my grandma on the other side she was always going to buy me nice gifts so it didn't matter um 
but there there were definitely a lot more conversations on my mom's side of the family about just not having enough. And I think um, even just in unconscious things that that happened that we didn't necessarily like talk about, like the whole food stamp thing. I didn't even know that was a thing until we started getting them when we would visit grandma's house. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like you received and enjoyed beautiful, positive things from both sides, you know? So sleeping all together on the floor, you know, all cuddled up um, and just family and community and that love. And then going to grandma's and having some, sounds like fun shopping experiences with clothes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> grandma always bought the best dresses. <laughs> so grandma was into style and fashion and. Yes, yeah. she was. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Beautiful. What about, um, what was possible for you in the future as far as work, livelihood, how much money you could make? Um, do you remember anything as a kid or teenager or early adult? I mean, you've created your own thing and you've created it online. You've had to be really creative, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and what you've done and you got the education and you were, it sounds like you were the first, whether you female or male, you were the first in the yes. family. Yeah. And do you remember anything, whether it, whichever side it came from, just in your environment, anything about the future and work and livelihood and what was possible or not possible for you to create? How did you feel about your future when you were younger? Um, I always knew that I was going to continue on to college. That was something that it was never even a question. I just knew I was going to go. Um, and, and my dad really pushed that or pushed me towards that once he saw how much I loved school and how well I did. So he just always said, you know, you've got to get your education. If you have a degree, you can do so much more. There's so much possibility. But to be honest, I think in a lot of ways, going that traditional route of being this overachiever who did all the honors classes and all the advanced classes and dual enrolled and and did college, um, I didn't even know the tip of what was possible until I became an entrepreneur. And that's when I really started to see possibility because I was in rooms with people who had all kinds of varying paths. Some people dropped out of college, some went. Uh, There were women who were making like amounts of money that I couldn't even fathom. And so I I don't know if if school really showed me what was possible as much as becoming an entrepreneur and just seeing and hearing about what other people were doing. So how did you step into becoming an entrepreneur? Share more of that story so you go the traditional path well in some cultures it's a traditional path of going to get the college degree what did you get the college degree in and then how did you find your way to entrepreneurship so I got the college degree in business management okay because at the time my dad was still working for my grandfather's trucking company and I just always assumed I would go into the family business I was going to be I'm the second oldest cousin uh, but since I was the first one finishing school I just assumed like okay I'll go work for the trucking company when I'm done which as an aside it wasn't something that I felt super passionate about it didn't seem like a a beautiful flashy (laughs) uh, career path to go in you weren't going to wear grandma's dresses to the company the trucking company but I just thought that was what was expected of of me because my dad said you should do something in business and you can come help out with the company uh, but by the time that I graduated from college, my grandfather had dissolved the company. He decided he didn't want to do it anymore, and he slowly sold off parts of it and just completely dissolved the company. So that was no longer an option. I spent mm, the first three years after college working full time. I worked a year for an insurance company doing claims adjusting, and then I spent two years teaching middle school science. Mm. And both of those jobs were not great (laughs) and they were not good fits and I I became really aware of how confined I felt in those jobs as somebody who just really likes to make things and has always liked to make things and create things 
there just wasn't a lot of opportunity for me to do that. And I didn't feel like either one of those jobs were utilizing my best skills or my talents. So the second year I was teaching, was it the first year? I think it was the second year. Uh, we were in the craft, my husband and I were in a craft store one day and we saw a, a screen printing machine, like a t-shirt printer. And my husband looked at me and he said, you should buy that. And I was like, why? I don't even know how to draw, <laughs> let alone print on a t-shirt. But he had planted a seed there that started making me think, well, maybe I could do something with that. So I went back a few days later and I bought it. And that was right at the time where Etsy was becoming like this really popular handmade marketplace. And I was starting to do research on starting a handmade like a craft business mm-hmm. and doing research and looking at some of the women who were really successful doing that. And they were like the like the top, I don't even know if she still is, but the top rated seller at the time, her name was her shop's name was like a black apple or something. And she was selling like art prints and making so much money. And then I discovered the wonderful crochet artist Twinkie Chan and she was crocheting food scarves and I was just looking at all of these women making money doing things like crafting and I thought like I could totally do this because I love crafting and I and I want to make stuff so that was what started me off of my first business which is called anti-sparkle apparel and it was a t-shirt line and I taught myself everything I taught myself how to do digital design graphic design so that I could design the t-shirts I taught myself how to screen print I taught myself e-commerce and packing and shipping and the whole nine And I did that for about five years. But during that first five years, I also started expanding into other things like speaking at events and going to conferences. And I really started seeing that there was more possibility than just selling T-shirts, which is around the time that I decided to expand my business beyond that. And I got the idea for the Visionary Journal and I created that. And then once that happened, it was just... I mean, we're in like a whole nother ball game because then I, I really learned how to manufacture a product and and I started doing like some online coaching. So what I thought was like this initial T-shirt business expanded into me speaking and coaching people and, and learning actually how to manufacture. And so, you know, I'm listening to your story. So you do come from entrepreneurs a bit. And then you get a business degree, then you're in insurance, and then you are teaching science, um, and then your husband gives you a little nudge, plants a seed, you know, for something else. And you stepped into all of that and just, just, and then kept going, you know, and kept going. Um, And is you becoming an entrepreneur and teaching everything you know, teaching yourself everything. I mean, for me, it feels really natural for who you are. Are you surprised by yourself or was it scary along the way? Um, Are you just really determined? Say a little bit more about that. (laughs) Um, Am I surprised? You know, yes and no. Since my parents were so focused on like education and go to college and get a job, I don't think that I ever thought I could just make up a job and I could just make up things. So in some ways, it's surprising that I get to do this. But then when I trace back to things that I liked as a child, it's really not, it's not that surprising. So to start my first business as a t-shirt business, it's not that surprising to me because I remember being a child and going to the flea market, like getting up at like five o'clock in the morning with my mom on Saturday mornings. So she could sell these t-shirts that she painted with puff paint mm-hmm. at the flea market. And like she would make the t-shirts with like matching little socks and we would be there all day selling these shirts. And because I used to see her do that, when I got into high school and we would have like spirit days and football games, I always customized the t-shirt with puff paint and different things like that. So to end up several years later having a whole t-shirt line, it, I feel like, you know, there, there's that connection there. Um, when it comes to, teaching I've always seen myself as someone who could teach but I realized very quickly that teaching in a classroom setting with kids just wasn't going to be sustainable as much as I wanted to do that and make a difference but now I get to teach adults and that feels better because 
the thing about teaching kids, especially middle school age, it's really hard because they can't see over, you know, they can't see past the weekend. Right. They can't see the future and they don't care about what's possible in the future. They just care about what's happening this weekend. Whereas adults, they are a little bit more beaten by life. And so they're looking for a better way and they want to change in the way that kids don't want. So, um, yeah, so it's it's not that shocking to me when I start tracing back yeah. the steps. But I think overall, um, becoming an entrepreneur, it it does feel like the best fit. Like it, it feels like it's the thing that I, I should have done all along had I realized this was the path and maybe not even have gotten the degree in business. I, if I had it to do over again, I would get it in design because I love design. And I did not know that about myself until I became an adult. But it was scary then. It's still scary every single day. <laughs> um, I, I don't think that it's less scary now. I just keep going. And so, like you said, am I driven? Yes. And, and am I stubborn <laughs> and, and determined to keep on doing this? Yes, until I, I get it right and I feel like I get to the place where I'm trying to get from me and my family. I love hearing how your mother comes into this, you know, and the lineage and legacy passed down from that too, you know, and what you got to watch her do, you know, when you were growing up. Um, so you, you have a little bit of everyone um, from a few different sides. And my quite, I, wa- I was wondering, would you still today have gotten that degree or gone to college knowing what you know now? Um, and yet it seemed for your family, um, and it was a big deal for you to be the first one to go to college, and then you did that. I hear that you would do a different degree now. Um, do you still feel that was really important to you? You were still going down the oldest daughter, be responsible, you know, um, get the education until you found your way um, to be able to creating all different kinds of businesses and merging all different skill sets into what you do. Now, how long have you been doing, yeah, how long have you been an entrepreneur? Uh, For 10 years. For 10 years. Okay. Okay. And would you, you said you would get a different degree, but you would still go and get that degree? Yes? I think I still would go and get the degree. Uh, At the time that I graduated, we weren't quite where we are right now with social media and all the things that we have. So I'm, I'm like a few years too early when it comes to graduation. I would still go get the degree just in something different. Okay. Okay. Yeah, it's always interesting when that lines up. When I finished my undergrad, there was no internet in sight. You know, when I finished <laughs> my graduate school, uh, the email was beginning, you know, in 1997, right? Mm-hmm. So um, there was no online teaching at all for years later, you know. Um, so tell us a story about a big money challenge or curveball that you've had in your life that you've overcome and how you did that. Okay, so this is technically still in progress, but I was thinking about it in preparation for speaking to you, and I'm going to share it because I no longer feel ashamed of it. So I had more credit card debt than I had student loan debt. (laughs) And uh, I felt very weighed down by that. And I remember two years ago, I read uh, for a book club, You Are a Badass at Making Money with some of my friends. And we made these little checks to ourselves for an amount of money that we wanted by a certain date. And I wrote, I don't remember the exact number because I can't find the check, but it was about $36,000. And I wanted it to pay off these credit cards that I had because somehow I ended up with $36,000 in credit card debt and I didn't know how and really can I I ask you about that for a moment and then please continue it was from starting your businesses was it from you know a lot of art businesses there's a lot of overhead right when you're Mm -hmm. for for the supplies for there's a lot of beginning costs was it from that uh, about 15k of it was from that okay The, the other I don't know where the other of it came from. Well, okay, I do. I know a part of it came from uh, I was really sick a few years ago, about three years ago, 
So some of it came from that time because it was my husband had just lost his child and then I got really sick. Okay. And so there was like some medical expenses in there. But um, okay. the rest of it, I don't know where it came from. It that's, just, a, that's a big chunk. I think it's important to, you know, when we first say we don't know and to go a little deeper into what time of life, what was really happening and to honor it. And part of it was starting a business, but part of it was the timing lined up with your husband losing a job and you having some health issues. So there's medical expenses. So that kind of, it narrows it down. And then there was another little chunk of maybe just living, right? Of, yeah. un, of unknown. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So um, I just, it was, it was just very heavy and I felt really ashamed and embarrassed to tell people. I didn't even want my husband to know how much it was because all the credit cards were in my name and I was carrying around all of this debt and I didn't really know what to do about it. But last year, December, uh, I thought to myself, I am going to pay off all of this debt next year. <laughs> I'm not going to carry it around anymore. Like I'm done. I was looking at how much I was paying for credit card payments, like minimum payments every month. And for the largest amount, looking at how much interest I was paying every month. And it just really made me feel physically ill. Um, so last December, I paid off like the two smallest amounts and I felt really good about that. I think it was like about $1,500. And I was like, yes, I paid it. I'm feeling really good. And so as of this recording, I have paid off over $15,000 in additional payments. That's not just like monthly payments. Those are like large payments that I've made. And before the end of the year, I'm going to pay another $6,000 off. So that would be $21K, which will leave me with just the one large credit card bill. And I'm going to pay that off in the next six months. That's my plan. Amazing. Okay. So whew, let's unpack this just a little bit. I mean, I, I already did is that it's so important to honor what was going on, what transition, you know, was this just kind of addictive spending, you know, or was this a health crisis and medical debt? Was this a transition where one of you lost your jobs or yes, yes. Right. There was a few of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then startup costs, which are really real too. Um, but so when you, and having shame and not wanting to talk about it, all normal. So what shifted, like what shifted in you? What had to shift? And then where did you go to get some suggestions or strategies on how to pay it down? Did you go to Sue Zorman? Did you go to Dave Ramsey? Who, who did you go to to read up on some best strategies like you did? You paid off two smaller ones which feels so good to have that level of success. It's something to celebrate. And then you can move on to the other. I mean, this is, this is, a, it's a lot of money that you're <laughs> paying off. No, not a lot. I didn't mean it that way. Meaning you're paying a lot off. You're finally saying like, I'm doing this. Some people may create a plan for three to five years to pay off. And you just said, I'm, I'm attacking this, you know, I'm, I'm ready for this weight. Cause that's how it felt to you. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm ready to, you know, let go of this, to put it down. Can you share a little bit more about what you did? Yeah. So I'm trying to think. I don't know if there was anything in particular that that I can recall that shifted. I just know that I started looking at the interest on the largest credit card, which about right now is like about 15 k And when I started looking at how high the monthly payment was, one, and what actually was principal and what was interest it just made me really pissed off (laughs) I just got really mad that I was paying that much money and um we had bought my husband a new car because he needed one so I have an older car which is fine because we don't want two car payments but my whole thing was like I have I we live near the beach and my dream is to get a jeep so that I can drive it to the beach um, and so I was just thinking like all this money that we're spending every month in my credit card payments, <laughs> I could buy a Jeep yeah. and like a nice one. And just thinking about that just made me really angry. <laughs> oh. And so, um, I just decided that I'm going to start, I'm going to start working really hard to pay it off. Um, my husband had read, uh, I think it's Dave Ramsey's like financial piece or whatever the main book that everybody reads from Dave Ramsey that talks about how to, um, how to start paying off debt he had read that and he told me about the uh snowball method and how you can start small and then just start adding on more money so i used that to pay off like two 
small credit cards, but ones that had larger interest rates because they were they were like store cards, like Express, Ulta. So I, I paid those off because they were small balances. And, and you're right, you do feel good because it's like, yes, that's off. I can close that tab in my brain. I no longer have to remember to pay this every month. And that felt really good. And so that was like the first thing that I did. And then I got a spreadsheet. I found a spreadsheet online that basically put all of your, you put all your debts in there and you put all of your interest rates in it and tell it the minimum payments. And one, it calculates how much money you have to pay every month, like the minimum amount. And then you can choose, do you want to do the snowball method? They have like an avalanche method, pay the one that has the largest interest rate. Like you could choose how you wanted to pay it and it would arrange the payments for you and tell you how to pay it and tell you how long it was going to take. And when I saw how long it was going to take, I was like, no, <laughs> no. Um, so I, I started using that to stay on top of what payments I was going to make and like how to, to uh, tackle the rest of the money that I owed. And then anytime I would get a large influx of money or we would get bonuses or uh, income taxes, I just paid all those lump sums towards the amount. And I stayed, I stayed really on top of that. Something else that I did, and I know that this is not what's recommended, but because I had that experience with having a health crisis and my husband being out of work at the same time, I just am kind of paranoid about not having enough money in savings. Mm -hmm. So even when we would get larger influxes of cash, I always put 20% of it into a savings account for like emergencies. So I saved $6,000 in that account today, which is like two months, or not today, this year, which is two months of living expenses for us. So I feel uh, a bit more secure. Wonderful. Wonderful. So it started with you just being brave and willing and ready to look at the numbers, you know, and yes. those those interest rates. Those interest rates tell a big story. You know, they they reveal a lot and that that was got what got you motivated. Um, mm -hmm. that ignited the fire of this is ridiculous. This, you know, I, this could pay for a Jeep and I'm ready. So by looking and then getting that great spreadsheet and then going online to find those calculators, um, where you can add interest rates and all that. Do you remember the name of that calculator? There's a lot online. I don't know oh, if you remember. I yeah. don't remember. It's an actual spreadsheet. So <laughs> I just downloaded the spreadsheet. Great, great. And you've paid so much off and I love that at the same time, you're also tucking away 20% because a lot of people always ask, should I pay down debt or should I save? Should I pay down debt or should I invest? Or should I invest first and then pay down debt? And it's different for everyone depending on their situation. There's no one size fits all. But for a lot of people doing both at the same time, if you can, is really satisfying, right? It's really it is. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's taking care of the past um, and the future while you're living in the present. And that's wonderful. You know, that's wonderful. So great story. So you listen to the money memoirs that I've done in the past. That's how you knew I was going to be asking this question or that I might, right? Yes. yes. Yeah. Okay. okay, good. Um, thank you for sharing that honestly and openly. And it's, it's very real. And I really love that you're pretty close within the within six months to nine months to a year at the latest of paying that down while also saving, which is wonderful. Yeah. And then you'll let us know about the Jeep um, when that happens. Yeah, I will. It's yeah. on my it's on my list. <laughs> <laughs> what color? What color? Uh, I saw a turquoise one. So it's not yeah. a common color, but they, they have them here at the Jeep dealership. And that's the one that I want. <laughs> yeah, of course they do in Florida. And that was the color I had in my mind because I love aqua and turquoise and yeah <laughs> great thank you so tell us a story about how you and your husband interacts around money um anything that's working well anything that you're working on any challenging discussions easy conversations anything you're open to sharing about that how do you and your honey do money <laughs> well, you know what, that's so that's one thing that I'm really thankful for with my husband is that he's uh, very unselfish when it comes to his money and just money in general. Um, but he's not a pushover. So I've been trying to wear him down about getting me a Peloton bike. And he's like, no, you need to finish paying your debt. 
I don't want to hear anything about the bike. <laughs> um, so that that's nice that he helps me stay on track. But, you know, like I said, in the beginning, I did not want him to know the number. And we had to, like this, we've had this car for two years. So we had to kind of have a conversation about that when it was time to get him a new car. <laughs> because even though he's not the primary on any of the accounts, he is an authorized user. And I found out that that can still affect his credit. Yeah. Yep. And so they, when we went there, they were like, you know, your, your credit is good, but you have a lot of credit card. Like there's the utilization is too high. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, oh, okay. <laughs> so I guess we need to, we need to talk about this. And so I had to just be honest about the numbers and particularly that really large credit card about this is, this is how much it is. And this is where we're at. And I just asked him to support me in the next year that I worked to try to pay it down. And so um, he's been really good about that. And um, he doesn't, you know, he's not too pushy about it. And he's not on me all the time, but he he does check in from time to time. And and because I feel less embarrassed about it, like a lot of times I'm just telling him, I'm like, okay, so I put this amount of money in the savings account and I'm going to pay this amount of money on this credit card this month. And I told him about my plans to pay this next $6,000 before the year ends. And he's on board. So um, he's been he's been really great about the money things. So you're, which is wonderful, and you're lucky. And so it sounds like he just he listened to you, and there wasn't a big fight or argument or disagreement. He he was he he didn't he wasn't surprised or angry or he just understood. No, he wasn't he wasn't angry. Uh, I don't he didn't really express surprise. Like I know he knew about the business expenses because we talked about that. Um, and I'm like I said, I'm not 100% sure how much of the actual debt was for medical mm-hmm. stuff, but I know he knows part of that was that, but he just was like, all right, well, now we just have to clean it up. Like mm-hmm. that's that just, it's what it is. Um, so mm-hmm. no, it, there wasn't like an argument or really too much pushback. It was just like, okay, what are we going to do? This is when I'm expecting to get certain bonuses at work and, you know, when do we need to pay things? And he's just been on board with making sure that the payments get made. Because I'm going to be honest, it is hard to see $5,000 in your account and say, I'm going to send that to the credit card company. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hard because in the moment you don't want to, you want to use it for the things you feel pissed. You feel, you know, I'm just making up what yeah. I, you know, what I felt or what I would feel. Yeah. Yeah, because you start thinking about all the things you can do with $5,000. I can go on a trip or this would make a nice down payment on a car. I could just put it in a savings or like all these things you could do with it. (laughs) Yes, yes. So what feels different now? Because, again, it does – it is so important in my world to honor how that debt was created, you know, um, I keep repeating myself, but the startup costs, the medical, the job loss, like these are all real things that happen, you know, curveballs that happen in life or starting a new business. So that's part of it. And then there was some unknown, right, unconscious stuff. Mm-hmm. So as you're going through this process of seeing how much, um, seeing the amount, not wanting to send it over, but you do, you're committed to that. But you're also, so you're, you're doing that, you're honoring the past, you're creating new habits, of sending over money to savings and then for future what do you think is going to change is changing by going through this and waking up to um some unconscious debt and some debt for real reasons you know just in any transition if you you need extra resources you need resources so you either you know go to savings or you go to a little bit of debt you know your zero percent credit card or some credit card with bigger percentages and then at some point you realize you have to deal with that so moving forward it's about having savings so you have more of a cash flow buffer anything else that you're aware of is shifting or will shift um i think i honestly think there's the awareness about how i was handling money so like for the unconscious things i don't they're unconscious like i can't even pinpoint where I spent the majority of it, which to me feels like a waste if you can't remember. Like I, I remember one one of I don't know how much, but 
there was a trip in there, <laughs> a vacation that I can I can pinpoint. But the rest of it is just who even knows. Maybe I bought a cheeseburger one day. I don't know. Um, or maybe I bought a cheeseburger a couple of times. But uh, <laughs> I think that just the awareness and being hyper aware about uh, the money that I have and where I'm putting it and, and yeah. even thinking like, okay, so if I have to put something on a card because it's a large expense right now, like how soon can I realistically pay that off? And um, am I going to actually do it? Because that's the thing that I, I, I found myself, I backslid a couple months ago and made a purchase that I had the money to just pay off right away. And then when I got the money, I was like, mm, I want to use it for something else. <laughs> and then I had to look at that number go up again and then feel really disappointed. They're like, oh, now you have to try to work double to get that back down and then still get it all the way down. So I think being more conscious about where I'm where I'm spending my money and 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 staying disciplined to like, no, the money that you spent on this card, you said you were going to pay it off on the first. So now you need to pay it off on the first. I don't care what you want to do with the money. Okay. Yeah. And that there's no perfect here. You know, there may be one month where you do spend in other ways and then you can evaluate how did that feel? Am I enjoying that? Did that work out well? Or is that not a great decision that I would do differently? Or really do I need to make the paying down the debt number one priority, you know, mm -hmm. um, until we get through that? Um, but yeah, there was, you know, with my, I, my book was very expensive to have a co-writer and to create, and I made myself a deal. I would pay it back within, you know, 12 months and I wound up paying it back within 13 months. And I was like, okay, I can live with that, you know? And so, yeah, I just want to give you a little bit of breathing room, um, while still staying on track with your priorities, but that, you know, you had one month where everything inside you was like, no, we want to use this on something else because we've been so disciplined, diligent about paying it down. And so it sounds like there also needs to be just a little bit of room to for you to enjoy, you know, um, mm -hmm. you're doing a lot of paying down debt and saving. And is there like a, is there a little bit of amount an amount that you can also be using to enjoy in present moment as well? You know, yeah. Just, yeah, just something to think about. And okay. is, is there a new system that you, you have the spreadsheet? Is there a new bookkeeping system that's helping you track and see um, where everything is at and bring in more awareness? Did you have to make a change there? No, the, the spreadsheet has been enough so far. Um, and I, I'm going to continue using it because the next thing that we want to do is start tackling some student loan debt, like seriously tackling it. Okay. But um, the credit cards, I mean, the interest rates are just so crazy that it just, I'm like, let's just hurry up and get this done. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, you know, everyone has a different pacing. Some people want to space it out, you know, and you're, you just want to get this done. Like you, you're very determined, stubborn, <laughs> very, yes. which is, you know, it's a good quality, right? And it can have its, you know, I just want to insert a little bit, make sure. And I guess the, the prize for you will be that Jeep, will be that Aqua Jeep. You know, that turquoise Jeep at some point. Yeah. At some point, yes. <laughs> at some point. At some point. I, I honor everything you're doing. And so tell me a little bit about parenting and money. Um, I know you have a teenager, and I know that this is a work in process, work in progress. And when I was asked to write a book about money and parenting, I said, yeah, maybe when my son is 18 or 21, I'm still figuring this out. So, you know. I, I don't expect since you were a teenager, it's all figured out, but what are some of the things that you're passing down to him around money that were different than what you had growing up? Are you having more conversations with him? What are you trying to, yeah. How is that? How is that going with your teenage son? I just told him maybe about two weeks ago, cause he's, he's 15 now. So we're going through the process of him getting his uh, permit, his learner's permit to drive and, and starting to think about, what we have to do <laughs> to get another car in this family um so i told him recently i was like you know we need to start thinking about like financial school for you as a teen because there's a lot of stuff that you need to learn mm -hmm. that you're not learning in school so I, I started making a list of all of these things that i wanted him to know and understand before he leaves so mm -hmm. in addition to just knowing about 
having a car and, and having a license, like understanding what insurance is for and why you need it and how it protects you, because that's something I didn't know until I worked in an insurance agency. And that's when I learned why they have minimums, but maybe you should not have minimums for property damage and things like that. Um, also teaching him about credit cards and, and debt. And, and I want to make sure that I, I instill in him that there's so many things that are possible for you when it comes to earning money, especially in this day and age. But the one thing that, that I've really kind of been harping on lately with him is I've always told him he did not have to go to college if he didn't want to, because there's so many opportunities now. Maybe it's not necessary, but he has expressed um, interest in going into engineering. So I've been trying to explain to him that colleges are expensive and, and helping and trying to empower him in a way that he can go to college, but still help cover some of his own costs. Because that was something that, um, you know, my parents said go to college, but they never said how I was going to pay for it. (laughs) So um, I we we made him join the swim team this year. He's very tall for his age and he loves to swim. And so I told him I was like, you're going to join the team and see how it is and see if you like it. Because there's opportunity there and you can go to college and you can swim and you can go to an engineering school and somebody will pay for your college. So I'm trying to get him ways that he can see how he can help himself along in the college experience without having to just rely on us. Great. Great. And anything, I mean, if he's on the swim team and going to school, it's kind of hard to work on top of that, but is that something that's important to you at 16 or 17, you know, that he gets a job, whether he gets to use that money any way he wants or whether that pays for, you know, extra stuff or, contributes towards college what's your thinking about that so we're still trying to figure that out because he he has expressed interest in getting a job because he wants a car and he wants those types of things um but I'm a little bit torn about that because on one hand I think it is smart for him to start developing a work ethic at a young age because he's gonna work but then at the same time I also feel like he's a child and you get to be a child for so short of a time I would like him to enjoy being a child as long as he can without having to work, which is another reason why the, the swim thing kind of comes into play because he's going to be a year round swimmer. Right. Once the season is over, he's going to join a club season. I mean, a club team and continue to swim until next high school season. So mm-hmm. I'm like, you don't really have a lot of time because you have to still swim four to five days a week. Yeah. So it, it's still kind of a thing that we're working out, but I'm not really pushing it. Like it's, Honestly, if you don't work, it's not going to make a big deal to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm just taking notes because <laughs> I have an 11-year-old who's an athlete too, you know, and most likely will still be doing five days a week soccer, you know, in high school. Um, but we also really want him to work. Um, so we'll see. Similar to you. We'll see. Um, you know, I was made to work at 15, 16. Um and then I got to do whatever I wanted with the money, but it was it was something that was a requirement for my household. It was like you mm-hmm. have to you have to have a job, you know, um, to be a part of this, um, which is good and bad. I think you <laughs> <laughs> can say positive, negative things about that about working at fifteen and learning a work ethic, but it was doing things I didn't love, you know, yeah. um, and so on. So let's continue. I'm going to ask you a few more questions before we complete. What are you working on right now, whether it's practically around money, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually? You've shared a lot about priorities around paying down debt, around using that spreadsheet, having a clear system around that. Um, anything else money-wise that you can think of, whether it's about – and you're saving, so you've told us that too, around earning or relationship to money that you're working on over the next six months to a year. I'm still I'm still working on just uh, money mindset. That I think that's going to be something that is a always the kind of a thing that I'm working on. But I think personally trying to break my own shackles around like earning limits that I've hit, ceilings that I've hit, and realizing that the limitation is me. <laughs> it's not actually a, a true limitation. Like I'm the roadblock there. So there's a lot of uh, 
learning and unlearning. And a lot of, I've been having, I haven't had as many money conversations with my dad, but I've begun having them with my mom about, um, one, I recently told her about my debts and my student loan debts. Um, but also just talking to her about things that I picked up from her and my dad as a child relating to money and just how there wasn't enough and how we had to work hard for it and just all of these things that I'm I'm trying to uh, rid my subconscious of because I don't I don't believe those stories so I don't know why they I don't say I don't know why I don't believe those stories so I don't want them as roadblocks on my path. And are they things like you have to work really hard to make more money or to move through a money ceiling? It always has to be really hard work. It has to be hard work. Um, You know, and it has to be hard work that making more money is hard, that there's not enough. And those are things that I don't believe because I've seen otherwise. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Are you actually writing down numbers of like, uh, what, you know, that you've made for, let's say, a program or a package or a month and starting to see just where you've been and starting to think about numbers larger than that and how you can get there? Are you getting really concrete in that way? Um, not consistently, mm-hmm. but I, the earlier this, like right at the end of the summer, I picked up a few clients and I signed them for like numbers that were much larger than I would have asked before. So I see there's some progress there, but it's not something that I've been super concrete about. Mm -hmm. I mean, it could even be making more per hour than you've ever made. It could be making, seeing what you make per month and having a number that would be beyond that. And then, you know, creating the strategy behind getting that or making money for more than three months at a time or six months. There's so many different ways to break through money ceiling, you know, or to go beyond, or how do you do work? I I love hard work, but I also think it doesn't always have to be hard, hard, hard. You know, Mm -hmm. there are times where it can be easier or smoother, or we can go from a private client to a group and leverage our time and make more money, you know, by doing that. There's just so many different ways. Yeah. So it sounds like something recently you were able to charge more and than you ever have. Yeah? Yes. Mm-hmm. And the client didn't push back. She, she didn't even ask for a payment plan. She just said, okay. <laughs> okay. And then, so then you have to just sit in that if she just said, okay, all right. Right? And did you have to just calmly or try to calm yourself down? Like, that just happened. Here we are. Yeah. To charge more. I need to charge more. That's what made me think. Like I need to charge more. <laughs> okay. So it's it's working on what you said, money mindset and money beliefs and ideas that you have, which is an ongoing thing. It's something we're fine tuning every year. You know, um, mm-hmm. different ways. So a last question, I think, is is what does money? What does leaving a money legacy mean to you? Ooh. I think for me, the, the ultimate goal is financial flexibility, not just for my immediate family. So not just my husband and my son, but also for my extended family. Mm-hmm. Um, I have my sister has six kids. She's carrying that torch for having a lot of kids, <laughs> a large family. Um, one of my brothers has two so far. So I just keep thinking about how wonderful it would be to build something that could leave something for them as well, not just the people in my my household. So my uh, money legacy is just having financial flexibility for my extended family, myself and my extended family, and and being able to do things with the kids that we couldn't do as children because we just couldn't afford it. So how has it been to talk about your relationship to money here and just begin to tell some stories how is it feeling what are you noticing you know I I feel really good about it um I was I was a little nervous in the beginning because I was like okay I'm not sure exactly what you're going to ask and exactly what I'm going to share but I think over the past couple weeks with the what I shared about uh, my debt my credit card debt 
I've been opening up more and more about that with friends and family and just becoming really okay with that. And I mean, it was, it was heavy. It, I felt really weighed down by that and really ashamed by that. But now I'm just like, mm, it's just, this is the thing that happened and I'm fixing it. So that this conversation feels a lot like that. Like these are things that happened and, you know, I'm still here <laughs> and I'm still course correcting. So it's fine. Great. And so many positives in there. You're obviously earning a lot more. Your work is going well. Um, your husband's work is going well. You mentioned something about bonuses. So, you know, the, there's there's a lot of positives, and you've really decided to take this on and talk about this more and not let this be a shackle, as you mentioned, or a taboo or something that's so secretive. You're talking about it more. You're being more open about it. Thank you. Thank you so much. So Monique is a way to complete. I'd, I'd love you just to share a bit of um, where folks can find you again and the, the, the one or two things about your work right now that you want folks to know about. Okay. Um, so if you want to find me online, you can find me at pimpyourbrilliance.com. That's my podcast of the same name and uh, I spend a lot of time over there talking about running a creative business and the stuff I've learned over the past 10 years. Um, you mentioned Barry about uh, changing directions from like a client-based model to a group model so I'm currently building a membership. It's it's still in the early stages but I'm working on it and it's going really well so I'm excited about that and and helping other people who are who run small solo businesses like how to really streamline and streamline things and systemize things so that it flows better and it's not taking over your life. And then I have Keep Chasing the Stars. Uh, planner season is always the beginning of the year, so I'm ramping up to prepare for that that rush of people who are ready to set their goals for the next year. So you can find that at Keep Chasing the Stars. Um, and either of those places, I am mainly on Instagram at Pimp Your Brilliance or keepchasingthestars.com. And so uh, right now, it's just focusing on how to build and grow a membership and then planners, selling as many planners as I can because it's, it's a small window where people are, like, super anxious to get a planner. Yeah, at the end of the year, at the beginning of the year, the next yes. week. Yeah, you're heading right into that. Monique, thank you so much for sharing your stories and for being with all of us today. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining me with this money memoir interview. I really hope you found something here to take with you, whether it was a lesson, some inspiration, or even just a little grace for yourself and where you are in your money journey. If you're feeling called to wade deeper here, please pack your financial goals, soul deep aspirations, and grab your favorite person. The Art of Money is a holistic framework that integrates money healing, money practices, and money maps and blends therapeutic body-based practices with real-life tools that we all need to create healthy, sustainable change in our money lives. So if you'd like to begin your money healing journey with the Art of Money today, learn more at barrytesler.com.